0: I'd to say good evening to everyone. It is um, good to be with you this evening and share some time with you um, in worship and study of God's word. I appreciate the invitation. Um, as as much as, as as you guys enjoyed having me, I enjoyed being here. I think I was blessed uh, further and beyond what you guys were. So um, I appreciate the fellowship. I appreciate I'm um, establishing new relationships. Um, I'm going to have to get on Rick for being a wimp and wimping it out. It's just an ankle. God gave you two of them. <laughs> so I'm going to have to text him and let him know that I, that I missed him. But I, I, I certainly appreciate you guys having me and being with you, um, being able to close out your, uh, your summer series. Ours, ours is being closed out right now um, by Gary Massey, um, or it was an hour ago. Um, but um, but I'm, I'm thankful to be here with you. Um, again, again, I appreciate the hospitality and the, the, um, the fellowship. Also, the songs and the prayers, everything has been par excellent. Second um, Timothy 2, excuse me, Second Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Um, that's the scripture that I was tasked with this evening. Second Timothy 4, 6 through 8, Paul, the apostle, um, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Second Timothy was the last epistle written by the Apostle Paul, and though we don't have any internal biblical evidence about how Paul died, if historical record is accurate, then Paul died under Roman rule and was beheaded just outside of the city of Rome. And this seems to be kind of consistent with what Paul says to Timothy and what he writes here in his second epistle to Timothy. And in the lesson text at hand, it is clear that Paul knew um, that his death was imminent. He knew he was about to die. He knew that his body and his life was about to be offered. He was going to give himself a sacrifice. Um, That's how much Paul loved the Lord. And in the second epistle to his son in the gospel, Timothy, Paul gave testimony to the life that he had lived for Christ. Paul is a great example. He was an example for all believers. He was an example in life. He was also an example in death. In Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In this life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul stated that he had fought the good fight. He had finished his course. He had kept the faith. And as Paul gave this farewell speech, I've got a question for us this evening. As we consider the closing ceremony, the question is, how will we close? How will we finish? In his letter to the church of Christ at Smyrna, in the book of Revelation, Jesus told them that if they were faithful unto death, that he would give them a crown of life. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Now, Jesus speaking to the church there at Smyrna is making reference to the intense persecution they would receive under the hand of the Roman Empire. They will receive a persecution unlike anything they had ever experienced before in their life. And Jesus said, if you are faithful, even if it costs you a life, I will give you a crown of life. So in essence, Jesus told the church there at Smyrna, it's really not how you start, it's how you finish that matters. How will you finish? How will you conclude? How will I conclude? How will we conclude our life when we're ready to be, when we're ready to face death? Can we, like Paul, say, well, we have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Can I be able, will I be able to say that as Paul did? Jesus said, it's not how you start, but you have to finish. You have to finish strong because how they finish determine whether or not Smyrna will receive a crown of life. My friends, it doesn't matter how we start. The question is how will we will conclude. How will our closing ceremony go? we we'll to look at three men this evening and the lesson will be yours. Very quickly, I want to look at three men and some of the commitment traits that they held. Now, I want you to take note of these men, and then you'll ask yourself, because one of these men may uh, seem uh, more like you. You may find an affinity that that you kind of relate to this man uh, above the other two, or you may not relate to any of them, or you might relate to all three of them. Who knows? But I've got three men that I want to present to you tonight. I'm not introducing them at all because you've read God's Word, so I'm presenting them to you. And I want you to take note of these men. The first person I want to take note of is Luke. Now, when we look at Luke, we have to ask the question, what do we really know about Luke? Well, the Bible provides some really good information about Luke to us. Luke was a Gentile, Colossians chapter 4, verse 11 through 14. We understand that Luke was a Gentile, and from what we can gather, Luke was the only Gentile writer in the Bible, from what we can gather. Luke wrote one of the epistles dealing with the gospel of Christ that bears his name. And Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And both of those books were sent to a man by the name of Theophilus. Luke chapter 1 verse 3, Acts chapter 1 verse 1. Now there is some contention amongst commentators about the book of Hebrews. Some think that Luke wrote Hebrews. Um, It's my personal opinion um, that Paul wrote it. Um, But some argue that Luke could have possibly wrote Hebrews. Now, if that be the case, he would be the writer of three books. But we know that he wrote two of them. We know that he wrote the book of Luke. We know that he wrote the book of Acts. And he addresses both books to a man by the name of Theophilus, who, interesting enough, name translates friend of God. Paul also made known that Luke was a physician, Colossians chapter 4. Verse 11 through 14, and Luke, as we look through the account of Acts, we find that Luke was a very close companion and, and close friend and fellow laborer with Paul. We see whenever Luke writes the book of Acts, anytime you see him speak in a second person when he says they or, or they did this or them, he wasn't there. But when he says we and us, then Luke was there. And very often you'll see where Luke maybe was one place and Paul was another, but very often they were together. And so Paul and Luke were very close companions. They were very good friends. Luke had the commitment trait of one who finished what he started no matter the adversities. Luke was going to finish what he started no matter the trials, no matter the challenges that faced him. And from the time that Luke enters the scene, From the time we first learn of Luke to the very end, we realize that Luke will forever be recorded in God's word as a faithful brother who started strong and ended strong. He had a great closing ceremony. My friends, we can learn something from Luke. We can learn something from observing Luke. The Lord needs more Christians like Luke. Those who will start strong. Those who will finish strong. Luke was able to say, like Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Luke was able to say that. Luke could say that with an absolute assurity that he had done the will of God. My friends, we must be conformed to the image of Christ. We've got to have the mind of Christ in us. And if that be the case, then we note that Christ was completely committed to the cause, even to death. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. That this mind being you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and being made in the likeness of man, and being fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ became obedient. He was committed all the way. He started strong and he finished strong. Paul, he started when he met Jesus. He started strong and he finished strong. Luke started strong and he finished strong. So if it's the case that we have to have the mind of Christ in us, for those who want to be pleasing to God, for those who want to spend eternity in heaven with God, then we must allow the mind of Christ to be in us. And if that be the case, then Christ sets the example of what great commitment looks like. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, my friends. This Christian journey is about endurance. It's about the long run. It's about beating the odds. It's about, uh, 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 it involves going against the grain. The Lord needs soldiers. The Lord needs soldiers to complete the mission. Lock, stock, and barrel. That's what God needs. He needs good soldiers. This is why Paul said he fought the good fight. Why? Because Christianity is a lifestyle of endurance. It's a lifestyle of denying self. It's a lifestyle of spirit and flesh warring. It's a lifestyle of being always targeted by Satan. It's a fight. And Paul said, I have fought that good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 13, Jesus says, And he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Christianity is a lifestyle of endurance. Our finances going to be tight? Yeah. Our relationships going to be perfect? No. Our loved ones going to pass away? Yes. Is health going to fade? Yes. Are politics going to be corrupt? Yes. Are wars going to continue? Yes. Will there continue to be poor people and downtrodden people and persecuted people? Yes. Is faith going to be tested and tried? Yes. And my friends, none of us are oblivious to the fact that these things are going to happen. However, the problem ensues when we become entangled with these things. That's where the problem happens. We know that life is coming to us because each and every one of us have to live life here. We have to live life here. And because we have to live life here, then we have to endure some problems. You remember in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount, and we get to verses 24 and following, and we talk about in VBS, the wise man built his house upon the rock, right? We, we, we We know that story. And Jesus gives two types of people. He gives a wise man and a foolish man. The wise man built his house on the rock, the truth of God's word, obedience to God. The foolish man built his house on the sand. But what do you notice common about both houses? The rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew upon both houses. Whether obedient or not, you're going to have to deal with life circumstances. None of us are immune to life's problems. In John chapter 16 verse 33, Jesus says, "These things have I written unto you that in me you might have peace. For in this world you have tribulation; you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world." John 16:33, Jesus talking to his apostles, obviously his disciples, who would experience a persecution for the cause of Christ, and he tells them, "You're going to endure trials, but my friends, that's just life." We have to endure the things here. And so when we endure these things and become entangled with them, that's when problems happen. That's when we fall away. That's when our commitment is challenged. If we entangle ourselves with the cares of this world, then we begin to, to lose focus on what's truly important. If we are entangled with the physical, you of necessity have to lose sight of the spiritual. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul would tell Timothy this: He says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this world, that he may please him that have chosen him to be a soldier. What are you saying, Paul? There is no soldier. I don't know how many of you have never been in the military, but I don't know how many of you have ever been in the military and then on top of that have been in war. But I would, I've talked to enough people, I've had enough family members who have gone to war, I've known enough people who have gone to war. There are several brethren at Avondale that have gone to war. And in every instance, when bullets are flying at you and you are trying to save your life, you're not thinking about your mortgage, you're not thinking about the cares of the world, you're trying to stay alive. And so Paul said, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of his life, that he may please him that hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so you deal with the battle and the task at hand, and you fight and you pray that you make it alive so that you can get back to your family. Now, it's not that we're not concerned with the things of the world. We can be concerned with them, but we shall not be entangled with them. You know, Luke was, Luke was there when Paul... Um, He was there with Paul even until the very end. Luke was there when everybody had left Paul. If you look at um, verse 11 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, same chapter that we're in, um, we ended at verse 8. If you go down through verse 9, now Paul calls for Timothy, or he writes to Timothy rather, and he's calling for Timothy to to come to where he is in prison and bring him his cloak and his parchments and those things. Now, notice what he says in verse 11. Uh, Notice he Tells Timothy everybody has left me. What does he say? Only Luke is with me. Luke was there to the very end. Luke started strong and he finished strong. He started strong and he finished strong and the Lord needs the Lord needs more Christians like Luke. Those who will start strong and those who will finish strong. The second figure in the Bible I want to discuss this man by the name of Demas. Now, if you've read the scriptures, you come across Demas. If if not, then Demas is going to sound a bit foreign to you. Um, but Demas has an interesting story. Now, what do we know about Demas? Not not much. Even if you uh, search external sources, because we don't have much, pretty much all we have about Demas is internally. There's not many secondary or, excuse me, external sources Um well, I guess they would be secondary with the Bible being primary, but there are not many sources um, that that tell us about Demas outside of what we see in God's Word. Um, we do know a couple things about Demas. Um, the Bible records that Demas was a fellow laborer with Paul. I um, mean, he was a fellow laborer with Paul, and he was a named among some very faithful brethren. When you look at Colossians chapter 4, um, verse 14, also Philemon, verse 24, um, you see that. Demas is named amongst the faithful. But unfortunately, Demas was was one whose commitment traits were not that great. Uh, Demas Demas was one that started strong, but when the going got tough, um, he decided to get going. When the going got tough, he decided to part ways with Paul and go back to the world from where he came. His first mentions in God's word, show that he was a faithful laborer with Paul. He was named with faithful brethren. He was doing the work of the Lord. But then the very last mention of Demas is one of defection and defeat. The last scripture that we see regarding Demas is in 2 Timothy 4.10. Now, we don't know what happens to Demas after this. We don't know. We can't speculate. But what we do know is that 2 Timothy 4.10, until the Lord returns, will forever be etched in the word of God. It will forever be etched in the word of God. And notice what Paul says about Demas. He says, for Demas has forsaken me. Forsaken is one of the strongest words that can be used for someone departing. Forsake means that, that it wasn't a good departing. He forsook Paul. He said, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Now, the term present world there, that phrase can be a bit tricky. Um, Paul could be making reference to the, the, the system of Judaism. Judaism. He could be making a reference to um, Demas wanting to go back to being a Jew and, and worshiping under the law of Moses, um, and this would make sense. If we, if we notice the book of Hebrews, the entire theme about the book of Hebrews is better. Uh, Christ is better than everything. Um, but uh, the book of Hebrews was written to uh, Jewish Hebrew Christians who wanted to leave Christ and go back to the dead law because of the persecution they were experiencing. They were saying, you know, as long as we were worshiping under the law of Moses and minding our business, we weren't enemies of the state. We weren't, be, we weren't being uh, hunted down by Rome. And not only Rome, we weren't being hunted down by our own brethren who think that we have departed from the true religion. All this trouble coming upon us, we want to go back to the law. That's what the book of Hebrews was about. And if that be the case, then demons could have been one of them. Demas could have said, you know I, I just, this is, I don't like this. I want to go back to when things were comfortable. Whatever the case may be, Demas forsook Paul. It wasn't good. It doesn't matter if Demas went back to a lifestyle of sin, a lifestyle of worldliness, or if he went back to the law of Moses. In either case, it was wrong. In either case, it was wrong. And so his first mentions are of a man who's faithful, He's faithful. He's a co-laborer with Paul. He's named among faithful brethren, Philemon, verse 24. But the last scripture we see is Paul says, For Demas has forsaken me. He's forsaken me, having loved this present world more than he loves Jesus. And now he's departed and gone to Thessalonica. That is the last time we hear about Demas. You know, because of the Bible... There are some names that you will not name your children to this day. Amen. <laughs> I don't see any Jezebels walking around here. I don't see any Judases walking around here. Right? I see a lot of Johns. I see a lot of Marks. I don't see any Demas. I don't see any Diotrephes. Right? No, we don't see that. Demons will forever be etched in God's word as one that forsook Paul. He started great, but he finished terrible. He started great, but he finished terrible. Demas is a prime example of someone who entangled himself, himself with the cares of this world. He's a prime example of somebody who entangled himself. Did Demas' love for this world include him being tired of maybe giving so much of his time to Christ? Did he feel he wasn't able to, you know, make some money because, you know, he couldn't, he had to be following Christ and doing the work of the Lord so he couldn't spend time trying to get rich? Could that be the case? Could it be the case that, that Demas was tired of the grit and grind of the Christian work and the persecution? We may never know his motives. But my friends, we understand that he forsook Paul. That's one thing we do know. We do know he loved his present world more than he loved Christ. We do know that. We do know that he departed from Paul. We know that. There are many things we may not know. But what we do know is not good. Demas is one who started strong, but he finished terrible. My friends, we're not immune from becoming concerned with the things of the world again, but we cannot let them ensnare us. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. 2 Peter 2, 20. Peter says, for if after they have escaped now 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 here is if you want to talk about graphic you want to talk about graphic language Uh, second peter chapter two can get pretty graphic right Uh, but peter says for if after they have escaped the pollutions of this world through the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ they are again entangled therein Right. They, they've they escaped the pollution of the world, but then they go back. And remember now, 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 then he goes on to talk about the, the dog that eats something that doesn't agree with him. And he vomits it up and he goes back and eats the vomit. I know I didn't say it. Peter said it. So you blame Peter, right? That's, I didn't come up with it. Peter came up with it. How, how, how disgusting is that? That's what, that's what, that's what the apostle through inspiration. No, that's what the Holy Spirit said. That a Christian who, who at one point had escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ becomes entangled therein again. He becomes overcome. And what does Peter say in verse 20? He says, and the latter end for them is worse than the beginning. It sounds like some people that it sounds like some people, uh, uh, some a church in, in, in Asia and in Western, Western Turkey, which would be Asia Minor to be modern day Western Turkey. It sounds like a church by the name of Laodicea. That's what it sounds like. It lukewarm, and the Lord was like, that makes me sick. I'll spew you out of my mouth. The dog, the Christian that the Christian that turns back to the world is like a dog that goes back to his vomit, or or the sow that returns to a wallowing after she's been washed. She goes back and wallows in it again. My friends, this points to the parable of the soil. Jesus said the soul has the soul that has no root in him will endure for a little while. It, it, it'll endure for a little while, but when the afflictions of persecutions arise because of righteousness, they are immediately offended. Mark chapter four verse seventeen. When the Lord calls us into the fold, into his fold, as Gentiles, it's amazing in John 17 verse 20 that Jesus said he had some that were not of the Jewish fold, but that he would bring into the fold and he prayed for us. He brought us into the fold. He brought us into a sheepfold. fold. Well, we didn't deserve it, but he brought us into a sheepfold. And when he did that, he expected us to follow faithfully. That's what he expects. Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and turning back is worthy of the kingdom of God. Luke 9, 62. There's not a man who's worthy of putting his hand to the plow and looking back. If you're going to look back, just stay back. We're not worthy of the kingdom of God. So we've noticed noticed Uh Luke who started strong and finished strong. We notice Demas, who started strong but finished terrible. Now let's look at Mark. Let's look at Mark, finally. Now throughout this lesson, I want you to ask yourself internally, you know, who, who am I most like? Who am I, you might see yourself in all of them. You might not see yourself in any of them. You might see yourself in one of them. Whatever the case may be, you hold that to yourself. That's just, just some internal examining, right? Internal assessment. So what do we know about Mark? Well, Mark is the author of the gospel account that bears his name. We know that. Um, We do know that Mark was Barnabas' nephew. He was Barnabas' sister's son. Now, Barnabas was Paul's right-hand man. They were, you saw one, you saw the other. Uh, They went everywhere together, all missionary journeys. Well, we'll talk about that in a second here. Paul and Barnabas. Set apart by the church in Antioch, like just, you know, uh, uh, set apart, sent to do the work of the Lord. Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Mark accompanied them on their first missionary journey, Acts chapter 12, verse 12 through 15, uh, 25, excuse me. But Mark ended up leaving Paul and Barnabas. Now, we don't know exactly why. But Paul, but Mark left Paul and Barnabas prematurely during that first missionary journey. And when Barnabas wanted to take Mark <clears throat> excuse me, on the second journey, Paul vehemently refused. Paul said, no, he is not going with us. Barnabas said, yes, he is going with us. Paul said, no, he's not going with us. And Barnabas said, that's my nephew, he's going with us. No, I don't know if he really said that, but in my mind, that's, what it, that's the way it went. That's my nephew. He's going with us. No, he is not going with us. Don't you remember that he left us during the first work? He decided to go on and do his own thing, and he didn't want to be with us. So no, he's not going on the second journey with us. This contention was so sharp, the Bible says, that Paul and Barnabas parted ways. Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 39. Paul and Barnabas, who were right-hand men, I mean, they were best buds, compadres. Because of Mark, because of what Mark did, they parted ways. Best friends. The contention was sharp. Mark, Mark had a hiccup. Mark, Mark had a hiccup in life. And again, we don't, we don't know what it, what it was. But we do know that Mark left the brethren to fight alone. He left his brethren, left them alone in the battle, left them to fight on the battlefield by themselves. I'll tell you what man, there's nothing there's nothing better than to be able to have a brother that 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 or sister and I mean brethren as in sister and right Christian. There's a there's there's nothing like having a Christian on your side. When you're doing the Lord's work and you're trying to teach truth and practice truth and encouraging one another and, 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 and loving one another and assembling together and worshiping together, there's nothing like your Christian family. And so when somebody leaves, it hurts. When someone leaves, it hurts. You know, our youth minister called me yesterday. And he said, hey, uh, he texted me and said, hey, I need you to call me. Can you call me? I said, yeah. So I called him and said, what's going on? He said, hey, um, you got any time next week? He said, I've set up a study with a Jehovah's Witness. I was like, yes. It's like, that's awesome. Yes, I've got time. Right? It, it, it had to feel good for him because I've been in that same boat where I've been able to call somebody and say, hey, I've got a study set up. Can you go with me? And they're like, yeah, let's do this. Right? It's a good to be on the battlefield together. And so when Mark left, that hurt. That hurt Paul. And so Paul said, no, he's not going with us anymore. Well, Paul and Barnabas now have contention because that's his nephew. Maybe there was some event that caused Mark to lose his faith. We don't know. Maybe Mark didn't think he could cut it as a disciple of Christ. We don't know. Maybe Mark was afraid to face the persecution that that, that they would surely endure because it was promised. Remember what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. He said, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So that wasn't for the faint of heart. Christianity in the first century wasn't for the faint of heart. See, they didn't have nice Edifices and nice padded pews and and nice uh, uh, thermostats and and running water and bathrooms. See, they didn't have a cush life that we have as Christians. It wasn't faint of heart. It wasn't for the faint of heart. Then, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're not going to escape it. So maybe Mark said, "Well, I don't want this. I don't want it." Maybe Mark thought he had bitten off more than he could chew. And depending on where we spend eternity and where Mark spends eternity, maybe one day we'll get to ask him. Maybe we'll be able to ask him, hey, why'd you leave? You know, maybe we may be able to get to ask him that one day. But the beautiful thing about Mark is this. The beautiful thing about Mark is that he redeemed himself. How beautiful is the gospel story for those who were separated from God to be able to be connected to God, and then if by some chance they're separated again, they can still come back. How beautiful is the gospel story? Mark was redeemed. As Paul wrote his last letter to Timothy before he died, he asked Timothy to bring Mark, 2 Timothy 4.11. He said, bring Mark because he is profitable. This is the last letter that Paul is writing. 2 Timothy, the last letter that Paul wrote before he died. And here, in verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, bring Mark. Now, wait a minute. This was the same Mark that Paul was adamant that was not going with them. He is not going with us, but now he's saying, bring him. Mark started strong. He fell off, but he didn't stay there. He got up, and he got back on the horse, and he finished strong. He finished strong. See, Mark started strong, and he ended up finishing strong, though he had a hiccup in the middle. My friends, even the best of us lose our grip sometimes. Even the best of us lose our grip sometimes. I've only ever known one perfect person, ever, and that is Jesus the Christ. Even the best of us, even Paul, even Paul made a mistake. Even Paul made a mistake as an inspired apostle and he offers sacrifices as an apostle after the cross of Christ. Even Peter made a mistake when he didn't want to be seen eating with the Gentiles. And Paul said, I had to rebuke him to his face because he was to be blamed. The word blamed there in Galatians chapter 2 means condemned. Peter had fallen. He sinned. My friends, even the best of us lose our grip sometimes. And isn't it wonderful to know that we serve a God of second chances. Isn't it wonderful to know that God is long-suffering with us? Isn't it wonderful to know that God stands with open arms awaiting our return? And many members have left the Lord's church and have left their brethren on the battlefield alone. But thanks be to God that he is patient with us. As long as we have breath in our bodies, we can correct our mistakes. As long as We have breath in our bodies. We can confess our faults. We can repent of our sins. Mark fell short. It's not how you start. It's how you finish that matters. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1, and we'll conclude the lesson with this thought. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, the Hebrews writer says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us. And watch this. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. It's how you start. It's how you finish that matters. Christianity is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a lifelong commitment. Paul gives this closing ceremony. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Brethren, how desirous it is for us to be able to speak that same those same phrases. Will we be able to say when we have to meet eternity? Will we be able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. The lesson is yours. Are you a Christian this this evening? not a Christian we plead with you.